Good morning. Welcome to our worship service at Hoover today. So glad you're here. We are excited that we get to be together. I'm excited we get to celebrate what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Some of you are visiting with us this morning, and we welcome you especially to this gathering. And we hope it's a blessing to you. If you've got any questions or any uh, like more information about what we're doing here, what we believe, what we believe God is doing, we would love to talk to you about any of your questions. But we welcome you today. We no doubt have people all over the spectrum, spiritually speaking. Maybe some of you are checking out Christianity. Perhaps you're checking out a Church of Christ for the very first time. But, um, we would uh, just be thrilled to be able to share with you some of the things we believe. Um, everybody uh, is invited to fill out a, an attendance card. We do appreciate very much your doing that. It's on a clipboard in the pew there. And uh, whoever is close to that clipboard, just go ahead and take that now if you don't mind and fill out the appropriate side, whether you're a visitor or a member, and pass it on down the aisle. And then at the end of the aisle, whoever's there, uh, tear that off and put it in the collection plate, which will be passed around in just a few minutes. We welcome you today. Near the end of our service, one of our elders will share some announcements concerning things that are going on in our church family here. I want to go ahead and introduce to you what we're going to be emphasizing in the next hour in our worship service. We're going to be reading, Jonathan Weimer is going to come in just a minute and read from a passage, the last chapter of the book of Acts. Last couple of weeks I've been sharing with you some things, some thoughts from the book of Acts, which is the story of what God did through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles to spread Christianity throughout the world in the first century. And that book is organized in some ways around various sermons that Peter and Stephen and Paul and others preached. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a kind of a version of that, of looking at some of that. But, but instead of just looking at one sermon, we're going to look at a phrase, a theme. You see on the screen behind me the, the hope. I found it interesting as I was studying this portion of the scripture that Paul, when he's preaching, a lot of times he talks about this hope, hope, because of the hope, because of the hope of Israel, and, and uh, we're going to look at that this morning. Everybody in this room knows what it is to deal with difficult, difficult times, struggle, health problems, marriage problems, concern, anxiety, disappointment, tragedy, you know, we know what it's like. One of the things that we have in Christ is we have something that causes us not to be devastated by disappointment here. If we believe what Christians have believed for 2,000 years, we believe that Jesus came out of the tomb on that Sunday morning, and we believe because of that that this world is not all there is. And so one of the things that we're doing, we're saying to the world when we come here this morning, is we come here as a public statement that we believe in the resurrection of Christ. And we believe that there is a coming resurrection of all who've lived. The resurrection of the good and the bad, of the living and the dead, the way the Bible talks about it. So we're going to think about that as we go through worship this morning. Let's take just a minute, a minute of silence uh, to gather our thoughts and collect ourselves and get ready to worship. And maybe focus on just the brevity of life and focus on the coming time when this world as we know it will be changed and we will be caught up and we'll get to live with God in a different kind of way eternally. 
Let's have that moment. At the end of that time, I'll lead us in a short prayer. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for being the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, father of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the empty tomb. And we thank you for the anticipation with which we live life. We can look forward to that day when, just as Jesus cried out at the tomb of Lazarus, come forth, you he will say to us on that day, come forth and we will be resurrected to live eternally. We look forward to that and uh, we pray you'll help us to live our lives in view of the fact that this world as it is, is not the way as it will always be and that we can look forward to uh, eternal existence with you and all the saints through the ages. We confess that and because of that we worship you today. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand as we read scripture together. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 17 through 20. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this, claim, this chain. Your only son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified. They laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. Oh, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, I should have died. But you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod 
and to be called a Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. <clears throat> be seated, please. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, this is not in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. 
Dear God, we're so thankful for eternity. We're thankful for the hope that we all of us have. God, we ask that in the good times here on this earth, we don't lose sight of that heavenly home and that we get too attached to things here and we fall away. And dear God, we pray that when things are dark and life is hard, that we will remember that we have this hope, this hope of eternal life with you. And God, we just, we ask you to instill that hope in us each and every day as we choose our words and we choose our actions and we make our decisions so that we would be able to serve you with love and encourage and humility that this hope of heaven will always be at the forefront of our minds. It's through Christ that we ask these things. Amen. After this song, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth. Glory to God in the highest, peace and good tidings on earth. Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Fasting alone in the desert, tell of the days that are past, how for our sins he was tempted, yet was triumphant at last. Tell of the years of his labor, tell of the sorrow he bore. He was despised and afflicted, homeless, rejected, and poor. Tell me the story of Jesus, Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay 
come for me. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. If you turn your Bibles open to First Peter, we'll read a, some verses in a minute to talk about this incredible, incredible hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And nothing, nothing says that hope like these emblems that we're about to partake of. And I think that's why God left these emblems so we could congregate and remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I just took a trip, visit a cousin that I love. He's a good guy. About 6'2", strong, strapping, this incredible deep bass voice. He walked in a room, everybody noticed, a leader. Struck with ALS. I went to see him. Shriveled up, eating through a tube, can't hardly speak. He was like the big brother I never had. Remember, he'd come to live with us when he was 19. I was 12. He's seven years older. I was the oldest son, so I never had a big brother. I looked up to him as a kid. I seen him laying in that bed, and he doesn't have faith. He doesn't have faith in the living God. And I watched him struggle, and he's grappling for hope. He's trying to find hope in all kinds of stuff. And I sit there and I watch him struggle for hope, and I wanted to give him some. But since he didn't want to hear about God, I realized I didn't have anything to offer. I told him I loved him, but what's that when you're facing death? We don't need the love of man. We need the love of God. That's the only thing that gives us hope. It's a hope that's indestructible. It's imperishable. It can't be tarnished. It's crafted by the hand of God, bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. And God says, it's anchored in the foundation of my throne and I protect it. Who's going to take it away? And then he tells us that should create such joy that it can't even be expressed. Look at 1 Peter. Start reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, an unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, and this you rejoice. God says your hope is unfading. 
it's shining and I protect it in my throne room. That means if all the powers of evil joined in one day to attack my hope and the entire universe imploded around me, that hope would be untarnished and unmoved and sparkling like the first day God created it. Brothers, that's hope. And then look down at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as we partake of this Lord's Supper this morning, I want you to focus on hope and the joy it brings, unexpressible, indestructible, unmovable, protected by the hand of God. Oh, Father, we're so grateful that you've seen fit to look down on us mere mortals and provide for us these emblems which help us focus as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, on the incredible hope that is built in nothing less than Jesus, your Son. As we partake of this bread, bless it. May we focus on that body that was broken so that we could have hope. It's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.
Father, we come to you continuing our um, petitions to you to bless this fruit of the vine, which reminds us of the blood of Christ, the blood that purchased us, washed us of our sins, and gives us hope and continues to give us hope all the way into eternity. Bless those who partake. May our minds, our hearts, and our souls be totally focused on Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper portion of our worship service. Um, now as a matter of convenience, since we've got all these wonderful gentlemen gathered in one spot that's willing to serve us, the elders have seen fit to uh, take this time to, uh, uh, to pass around the offering basket. If you'll be, uh, pray with me before we give. Father, we're so very, very grateful to you for all the incredible gifts, the gift of life, but most of all the gift of salvation that you so liberally bestow on all of us who are unworthy. We ask that you uh, 
give us the heart of a cheerful and willful giver as this basket is passed may our love your love for us uh, be uh, returned in the form of what we can give back uh, please bless this offering and um, may it be used to further your kingdom and to bless others that are less fortunate this is our prayer in christ's name amen If you're using your hymnal this morning, the song of encouragement will be number 324, 324. Before the sermon, let's all stand and we'll sing number 538 together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. 
dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Be seated, please. We're going to go to that last chapter in the book of Acts. If you want to join me there, I would greatly appreciate you doing that. Acts 28, the last chapter of the fifth book in the New Testament, right before the book of Romans. So if you find Romans, look on the page before it. That's where Acts 28 is. um, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I'm glad I get to share a brief message with you from Scripture, from a beautiful, beautiful story. We're going to do that for the next little bit. And we are glad you're here. I I meant to, at the beginning, I meant to say something about our Faith in Action uh, event that is going to be tonight. If you've been around Hoover this year, you know we started something at the beginning of the year, one Sunday night a month, where we do something intentional as a church to try to be a blessing to our community and uh, for us to take what we believe here and to, in some way, as a kind of an organized thing as a church to uh, show what that faith means and how it it changes the way we treat folks. And so this will be the ninth one we've done this year, I think. And we're going to go down to the Fellowship House, which is a place uh, people go when they are having some problems in life. And um, folks there help them to try to get through those difficulties with addiction and things like that. And we're going to go down there and provide a meal for the people who are living there. We're going to share some things we've been collecting in that box in the foyer we're going to worship with them for just a few minutes, sing some songs and pray with them. And I'm going to share just a short message with them there. So I hope you'll plan to be a part of that. Um, we're going to have a, a brief worship service at 5. And uh, then we'll go down there. We're going to be actually be taking a church bus. If you want to ride the church bus, you can. The address of the place is in the bulletin today if you need it. If you don't have a bulletin or whatever, let me know and I'll get you the address. You can drive down there and meet us there whatever. Uh, But I wanted to mention that because I forgot at the beginning to say something about it. Also, if you would rather simply be a part of a class, we'll have a good class here at the church building. Now, Wade Warren is going to be teaching a class here, and so you can choose to stay around for that, or you can choose to, after the worship service, go with us downtown. It's over close to the UAB campus. And uh, anyway, that's coming up tonight. You believe in the resurrection? Ah. You know, Christians can disagree about a lot of stuff. I think we can. I think we can disagree about things, some things. Uh, we can disagree about some things and still be in fellowship with one another, you know? Part of the same family, right? Uh, I don't think we can disagree about the resurrection, though. This is one of those things. In fact, I, if, if we believe the story of Scripture, this is where it was always going. This is where it was always going. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in prison. He's in jail at and, uh, and, and he says, man, the reason I got these chains on me is because of the hope of Israel. That's the text that we, that we read, that Jonathan read for us a few minutes ago. The last verse of what Jonathan read is Acts 28, 20, when he says, because of the hope of Israel, I've got these chains on me. What in the world is he talking about, the hope of Israel? I want to show you for first part of this. But here's the way it's going to happen, Lord willing. First part of this is I want to show you what the hope of Israel is. And then the last part is going to be, okay, so what? 
Ah, you believe that. You believe the hope of Israel is true. So what? What, may, what difference does it make for Christians, you know? I read, um, I read this week, actually, that 25% of people who identify as Christians don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Man, I struggle with that. I struggle greatly with that. Like Merv was talking about a few minutes ago. Man, this, what we just took, the, the body and blood of Christ, you know, it has its significance because not only the death of Jesus, but because of the empty tomb on that Sunday morning following it. And if we are Christians, it's because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then we are of all people most pitiable. Christianity is nothing. I will, I will say that to you. I, I believe, I've said it to you before. I believe it to be true. If the resurrection is not true, then Christianity is a hoax. We are of all people most pitiable. We believe in the resurrection. We believe the tomb was empty, and we believe that moment changes everything. And Paul says, I am in prison because I have been preaching about that. I want to show you how that's true. I'm going to throw some scriptures up on the screen because I, I want you to see something here. Instead of just looking at one little section of Acts, I want us to look at, a, as I mentioned earlier, a phrase that keeps coming up again and again. Here's, here's the historical background, okay, for just, just a minute. What happens in the book of Acts is, Paul, his, his Jewish name was Saul, he became a Christian. He had been persecuting the church, hated Christians, hated Christianity, thought it was his God-given calling to stop these Christians in their tracks. And if he had to, he would put them to death. That's what Paul spent his life doing. That's what Saul was doing everything he could he, within his power to do. But he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He saw the resurrected Lord. He believed in the resurrection. He saw the Lord. He spoke to the Lord. And the Lord talked to him. And Saul became a Christian. And for the rest of his life, he spent his time professing the one that he tried to persecute previously. Now, as part of his trip, as part of his spiritual journey, he took a number of physical journeys. And starting in Acts 13, he became a Christian in Acts chapter 9. So I'm just going, let me just summarize this for a second. In Acts 13, he started going on, you know, what, what are normally called the missionary trips or the missionary journeys, where he would start at a place and he would take a trip. And he would teach everybody he could about Jesus Christ. So he did the first, we studied a sermon he preached on that trip. We studied it last Sunday in Acts 13. So he, he went, you know, make a route and he'd come back. That's the first one. And then he made another one, preached again, came back. And then he made a third one. But when he got back to Jerusalem, uh, at the end of that trip, people didn't like him anymore. Well, they had not liked him for a while, lots of folks. But they got to a point where they're done with Paul. They're done with Paul. And so when he got back to Jerusalem, they arrested him. All right? And so for the rest of the book of Acts, Paul is a prisoner. And he's a prisoner at the end of this, right? So, so, we, so he got arrested in Jerusalem. And um, they, they take him up to Caesarea. And he's there for a couple years in prison. But anyway, he, on, that, on that, in that extended imprisonment, he gives a number of speeches. They're kind of like defense speeches. He, he'll do it before a Jewish group, and then he'll do it before Agrippa or Festus or Felix or one of these different rulers, and he gives his defense. And, and then he comes to Rome. He eventually gets on a ship, and he finds his way to Rome, and that's where he is when the book ends. Now, what I'm particularly interested in for the next few minutes is I want to I show you what Paul keeps talking about again and again, because he says it, he 
he says it so many times, it makes me think, man, this matters. This is a big deal. And at the end of it, the verse we read, Acts 28, 20, he says, it is because of the hope of Israel. Let me take you back into some of these speeches that he makes, and I want you to notice some other things that he said. This one's in Acts 23, all right, Acts 23, verse 6. Notice what it says. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out on the councils, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Listen to this. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Now, what he's talking about there, some are Sadducees, some are Pharisees, and those names may not mean anything to you, I don't know, but the Pharisees believed that when you died, you would be resurrected and you would live, in some sense, forever, right? Pharisees believed that. The Sadducees believed what a lot of Americans believe today. And what I think apparently 25% of people who call themselves Christians believe, and that is when you die, you know what happens to you? Nothing. You're dead. That's it. That's what the Sadducees believed. They believed when you died, your body went down to the tomb, and that was it for you. You didn't have any kind of consciousness, any kind of awareness. You were simply dead. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. <coughs> so Paul says, he knew some of them were Sadducees, which meant they didn't believe in the resurrection. Some of them were Pharisees, and they did believe in it. Paul says to them, here's why, here's why I was arrested. I was arrested because I believe in hope. And I believe that there is coming a day. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul means that in two senses. He believes that Jesus was resurrected and consequently, and he cannot separate these, and consequently, because Jesus was resurrected, everybody is going to be resurrected. Everybody is going to live. Everybody is going to, be, is going to have an existence eternally. I believe in the resurrection of the dead, a specific one, Jesus, and because of that, I believe that there is going to be something more than this life. That's Acts 23.6. Here's another one. Acts 24, next chapter, 14 and 15. Listen to this. This I confess to you. This, these are the words of Paul again. This I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Here it is, those words again. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept. What is that hope, Paul? There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Paul says, that's why I got arrested. That's, that's why I'm in jail. That's why I don't have any freedom because I believe that and I preach it. I have, we have a hope in God that there's going to be a resurrection of the good and the bad, of the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul says, that is what the hope is. I'm going to come back to that in a minute and kind of circle around to think about what that means for us. Later in that chapter, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. He's quoting himself. Uh, he's quoting what he said in the previous chapter in Acts 24. Now, I'm going to show you like, couple, two, like two more verses, but I'm really only trying to make one point. I'm putting several verses up here, and I hope you'll get this point. You know, I know most of us won't remember a whole lot of the sermon, you know, by the time you get done with your lunch. I understand that. I'm, I'm not overly uh, optimistic that any of us are going to remember a whole lot of the details, including myself. You know, I'll, I'll forget much of this as well. But I want you to remember one thing. 
I want you to remember one thing. And that one thing is that Paul says over and over again, and, and I think the reason he says it over and over again is he knows we have a tendency to forget. He says this again and again and again, that the central component of Christianity is the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected. And because we believe in the resurrection, we believe that it was the first of the resurrections. It was the first of many, 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 many resurrections to come. And that is that because of that, everybody, both the just and the unjust, will be resurrected. That that is, when we go to the grave, that that is not it. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir in some respects because maybe everybody in here already believes that. But because it is all over the Bible, it is my duty, it is my sacred duty to remind this church again and again because we are bombarded by a materialist world and it is getting, in some respects, more materialist. And by that, I'm not talking about... Cons I'm not, I, don't, I don't mean that, that more and more people are, are becoming materialistic. I think that may be true as well. But what I mean by materialist is that our world is becoming increasingly convicted that the only thing that exists is the thing that you can see and taste and touch and feel. Material things. So we're bombarded by this. And so we choose a career based on a materialist view of the world. We, we decide what we're going to do on Friday night based on a materialist view of the world. You only live once. What does that mean? Right? YOLO, you only live once. What does that mean? Man, you better pack as much fun as you can because when you are dead, you're done. That's it. That is the motto that guides most of the people in our country, right? So I only want us to remember one thing. That's not the way we live. Acts 26, two chapters later, Acts 26, 6 through 8. Notice what Paul says here. And now I stand here on trial. He's talking about this again. Because of, the, because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I am accused. See that? that repetition? For this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? This is the same thing, you know? Same thing again and again. Then the one that we started out reading that Jonathan read for us a few minutes ago. Acts 28, 20, near the end of the book. He says, for this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Now, here's, here's my point. I, I wanted us to know as a church, again, Paul says, this is what it's all about. He calls it here the hope of Israel. Sometimes he says it's the hope. Sometimes he says it's the resurrection of the dead. Sometimes he calls it the resurrection of the just and the unjust. But it's all talking about the same thing. And that is that everything that you read in your Bible, everything that you read in the Old Testament, Everything that you read in the New Testament, everything is pointing in some way to this pivotal moment when they went to the tomb on that Sunday morning and it was empty. And that because of that, that changes everything. That's why it's mind-boggling to me that one of the things... I just finished a, a book, by the way. Uh, I may have mentioned it to you. A book written by a man named David Young. Preaches at a church of Christ up in Murfreesboro, I think it is, in Tennessee. And uh, it's, it's an excellent book, but it's also a 
it's an amazing book to me because he says in the book, and I agree with him, one of the, one of the challenges that we face, one of the biggest challenges we face now is that we've got to reaffirm again and again that we believe that God works supernaturally, specifically that God works supernaturally in raising Jesus from the grave. That one of the greatest challenges we face in the 21st century is this pressure that we're feeling from various from various quarters in Christianity, not to believe that the resurrection is true. To deny that fact, to, to say, hey, it's okay to be a Christian, you know, Christianity's good. Believe in love and mercy and grace and all the good stuff, you know, be nice to people and treat people well and, uh, and do away. And by the way, we all agree with that. Treat people well regardless of race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status and all that. Hey, we, we believe in that. We don't always do it as well as we should, but we believe it's true. But one of the greatest challenges we face is against this materialistic view of, of Christianity, and that is, except the not supernatural parts. But the supernatural part, mm, you know, uh, once we figured out, once we figured out how the world works, you know, back in the 1800s, and we figured out that, that um, unguided natural selection, survival of the fittest and all that, is, it explains everything, that we don't need supernatural stuff anymore. Folks, um, as Christians, we believe based on good evidence, very, very good reasons, that Jesus was who he said he was. And because of the hope of Israel, Paul says, because of the resurrection of the just and the unjust, we believe in living a different kind of life. I want to just spend not long... But just a couple minutes talking to you as a church, to us as a church, about what this means. People in this room have endured some hard things. Lost loved ones. You've faced health problems. You've been devastated by disappointments in your family. You've had relationship problems. Part of the human condition is to suffer, is to struggle. How do you face those things as Christians? How do you, how do you deal with the devastating news of an MRI that comes back with, with bad results? How, how, do you, how do you face that phone call? How do you answer the phone call from, from someone with news you didn't want to hear? How do you handle that knock at the door from a police officer at 2 o'clock in the morning? How do you deal with the disappointments of life? As Christians, we... It doesn't mean we're not devastated. It doesn't mean that we're not discouraged. But what it means is we believe that this world as it is is not as it always will be. We believe that because of the empty tomb and the bodily resurrection of Jesus that this world is not the way it'll always be. And we believe that there is a coming resurrection. We believe this life is not all there is. And so we've got hope. We've got hope. We've got hope that because of the empty tomb, our tombs will also one day be empty. In Acts 24, 25, which is right in the middle of this part I was talking to you about, Acts 24, 25, listen to this verse. Paul is talking to Felix, who was a notoriously cruel and ungodly ruler. He was uh, kind of a puppet ruler of Rome. He was not a good man by anybody's, in anybody's opinion. Paul has an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus, and he does, of course. Paul talks to everybody about Jesus. Acts 24, 24, as Paul reasoned 
about righteousness. He's talking to Felix, this ungodly man, about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix, the Bible I grew up reading, the King James says Felix trembled. The ESV says Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. As far as we know, that opportunity never came. You know what Paul is talking to Felix about? Felix needed to hear that Felix, um, I can just hear Paul saying it, Felix, keep ruler, keep, you know, uh, Felix, there's coming a day when you're going to give an account for the way you've treated people. You're, you're going to give an account for the bad things that you've done. You're going, to, you're going to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to have to give an answer for the way that you've lived. He talked to him about righteousness and about self-control and the coming judgment. You see, for Paul, all this tied together, the tomb was empty, which let us know that this is not all there is, that we have something within us that will continue to exist, right? That there is coming up the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Paul recognized that there's something more and that both the just and the unjust will wake up, as it were, and will stand before God in judgment. And he told Felix about that. And Felix, Felix was troubled by it because he knew now, i got to ask us as a church this morning, does the judgment trouble you? Does it trouble you? Do you tremble when you think about it? Are you alarmed when you think about it? You see, if we live life outside of Christ, it does not mean the resurrection will not happen. God is going to resurrect the just and the unjust. What it means is that if you and I are outside of Christ and living in rebellion to Him, that we will stand before Him in judgment and we will be held responsible for our rebellion against Him. You see, this changes everything. And so I don't want to give false comfort to us if we're not in Christ. All of the things that we experience in life that are difficult, we don't have hope for a better existence if we're outside of Christ. He's saying there is a coming judgment. But having said that, it's interesting how Paul talks about resurrection. He'll talk to somebody like Felix who needed to hear about the coming judgment, and he'll say the resurrection applies to you, Felix, because there's coming a day when you're going to be resurrected and you're going to stand before God in judgment. And that scared Felix after death, and it should have. Paul takes the same principle, and he preaches it to people in Christ. And you know what he says? Listen to him. I've got, I've got an example of this. This is what he says to a church at Thessalonica. They were, uh, they were Christians. They, they were struggling, though, because people were dying. Some of the church members were, were starting to die because of sickness, maybe even persecution. But they were starting to die. And they were, the, the church was stressed out about it. And Paul says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, this is Paul talking to believers. He says, since we believe that, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. <laughs> he goes on to say, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back. And with a shout, he's going to raise all who are in the graves. They're going to hear his voice and they're going to come forward. And they're going to be with Jesus forever. Christians, believers. At the end of this little section, Paul says, therefore encourage one another with these words. See, here's the thing. 
We talk about the resurrection. I think we're either in Felix's camp or we're in the church's camp here. For Felix, it caused him to tremble. He was shaking, and he should have, because in his mind, a coming judgment was a scary thing. But to the church at Thessalonica, who were kind of being troubled by death, Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, the resurrection brings you hope. And so we either tremble like Felix, or we take comfort like the church, like Thessalonica. That's the difference. The resurrection of the just and the unjust. Listen to Paul in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing a song. And it might be the case that someone here wants to make that confession. That confession is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He died for me, and I believe He was resurrected the third day, and I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. That's what you're saying when you go down into the waters of baptism, being raised up just like Jesus was raised up to walk a new kind of life. That's what Paul writes in Romans 6. Beautiful thing. Got hope. Got hope. If you're in Christ, you've got hope. One more verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I love that one. Into his presence. You believe in the resurrection? If you believe in the resurrection, if you're in Christ, it changes everything. It changes everything. You can handle devastating news won't take the devastation out of it completely. It won't take the discouragement out. It's still going to hurt. But God will bring you through it. And I see it all the time in the lives of Christians when they handle difficulties. They struggle. It hurts. But they've got a steely fortitude about them that helps them to make it. You know why? Because they believe in the resurrection. They believe that They believe God's going to take care of everything one of these days. It changes everything. You don't live for Friday night. You don't live for whatever party's coming up this weekend. You don't live for whatever vacation you've got planned. You don't live for whatever house you're going to buy or whatever car you're going to drive. You don't live for those sorts of things. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy life. We do, but but that's not the reason we live. We live in anticipation of God making all things right. Because Jesus was resurrected. If you're not a Christian this morning, I already shared with you just a second ago how you become a Christian. Be baptized into him based on that conviction that's in your heart. Confess that you believe in the empty tomb, that you want him to be your Lord and Savior. Make things, he'll make all things right. Beautiful thing, we invite you to come to him this morning. If you need to come back to him today, because quite honestly, your life has, has been lived more in the way of the world than it has been of Christ. You've lived more for tangible, physical, temporal things than you have for God. Why don't, you, why don't you come home to him this morning? Come back to him. He will, of course, forgive you a thousand times over. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come now.
float that sacred head for such a one as I. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Be seated. It's great to be a part of uh, God's family and to just have people to rally around us and support us in our walk. It's a hard thing, you know. It's a hard thing to be a Christian sometimes, and um, we all need to do it with other folks, other people. Dakota Weeks comes forward this morning asking for our prayers, and Jimmy, if you would, just get Jimmy, one of our elders, uh, come and lead a prayer on Dakota's behalf here in just a minute. Uh, Dakota Weeks comes with a prayer request. Dakota became a Christian, how long has it been, a year, year and a half, two years, year and a half, became a Christian about a year and a half ago, and um, he said to me that he just feels like he had started living for himself, and had not, he had kind of lost focus, and uh, taken his eyes off of Christ, and started living in a more of a here and now kind of way. And he wants, he wants to repent, and he wants to come home, and he wants to be forgiven. He wants to have that same kind of joy that he had when he came up out of the waters of baptism, knowing that he was forgiven, and he wants, uh, wants forgiveness. I appreciate Dakota, and I appreciate so much that, that God has led him to this moment and convicted his heart and uh, led him to this point where he can recommit himself to living the, the faithful Christian life. Uh, Dakota's a, a fine young man. He wants to walk with the Lord, and I know his church family will rally around him and walk with him. So we, we love you, brother. Jimmy, if you would. 
pray. Holy Father, we are so thankful for the hope that you give us. And now we're thankful for Dakota Weeks for coming forward. He's relatively a new Christian, but we're thankful for his maturity and his, I guess, foresight to see that he's been putting himself first, that he's, he needs to put you first, and we know that through that he'll come way down the line. We're thankful that he has seen that and has asked for forgiveness for not doing it. We know that you tell us that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. I always think about that. That it's you're rejoicing that he's come back. We do pray for him, pray that pray for Kendall. Know they have plans here in the future, and we pray for both of them. Pray that they continue to grow stronger in you every day, and that we all do that. We are so thankful again for your son and for the hope that he gives us. It is through his name we ask this prayer. Amen. Got just a few quick announcements. Pick up a bulletin. I won't cover everything this morning. It's good to have everyone out for the members and the visitors alike. Uh, if you do have questions, just grab one of us and pull us aside, and we'll, if we can't get you the answer, we'll certainly uh, get someone who can. But in the bulletin today, the HEPA 3 meets at 3.30 this afternoon. and. Uh, also, Faith in Action, Chuck mentioned it when he got back up here. Faith in Action, it meets at 5 o'clock. Uh, please be here for that if you can. And as Chuck mentioned, there is a, also a uh, group that will stay here in a study. If, if you can't make it the trip downtown, uh, certainly we understand. Uh, Jeffrey mentioned this morning that there are still some sign-up slots for uh, care packages for the college students. So he said if you don't want the college students to starve to death. Just go ahead and don't sign up. But he said there is a sign-up list on the on the back rail, so if you can, uh, go ahead and sign up for that. And next Sunday, we'll have the fifth Sunday fellowship, and it'll be potluck. And then just so you can go ahead and make plans, uh, typically on the fifth Sunday, we'll have church, and then we'll have the fellowship, and then we'll come back and have uh, another devotion immediately after that. So go ahead and make your plans for that. Uh, and I know I was looking for this to be kind of bare. John mentioned in class that there were 60 down at uh, Children's Harbor this morning uh, with the youth. So it's, uh, it's a lot of them down there. So pray that they have a, a safe trip back. And I know Bill's got a, a comment to make about the uh, meeting in the library on the Philippines. I'll turn it over to him. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Before I mention the upcoming trip to the Philippines, I, I'm going to make just a comment about our last one. For those of you who have been involved in foreign missions, wherever it may be, you know you spend some time together in a very intimate setting, you get to know people and you get to know their heart. 
to get to know what makes them tick. We got to know Dakota in the two weeks we spent on our last trip to the Philippines. And I am so impressed with uh, this young man's heart. He, is, uh, he loves the Lord and he wants to do what's right. And I'm happy to call him friend, but happier to call him brother. So wrap your arms around him, support him, love him. Uh, there's been an announcement about a meeting that we'll have uh, this afternoon at four o'clock. If you have any interest in knowing more about the work that we're doing in the Philippines, the mission trips that we will be undertaking uh, next year, we hope that you will come. We'll have a short, probably 45 or 50 minute meeting. Uh, the purpose of this meeting is simply to uh, ascertain the number of people from uh, the Hoover congregation that want to be a part of our upcoming trips next year. We'll give you a general overview of the work that we do, uh, a general overview of, of our plans for our, our next, uh, next upcoming trip in April of next year, and uh, give you an opportunity to ask any questions about uh, what your role might be if you, have to, uh, if you have a desire to be a part of that. So uh, if you are interested in the Philippine mission work, we hope that you'll come and be with us uh, at 4 o'clock this afternoon as we meet in the library. Stand and sing one verse of 851 before we have our closing prayer. Some glad morning when this life is o'er To a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away I'll fly away, oh glory I'll fly away When I die, hallelujah, by and by Let us pray. Oh, great creator, oh, great I am, we come to you with our heads bowed and our hearts humble. We thank you once again, Heavenly Father, for allowing us to come together, but most of all, we thank you for this miracle called life. We thank you for the hope that you give us, Heavenly Father, by the love that you've shown us in times past by sending your only begotten son. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, the focus and the, the recommitment that Brother Dakota has made, and we ask you to continue to bless him. We ask you, Heavenly Father, as we depart this building, that you give us safe passage to the places and destinations that we are, are going to. But most of all, Heavenly Father, let us take this message that we've learned, apply it to our life, and continue to keep the hope and the focus that we all should have, Heavenly Father, because of the fact that we believe. We believe in you, we believe in your Son, and most of all, we believe in your Spirit. It is in your precious Son's name that we do pray. Let the redeemed say, Amen.